and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, on our show today, we're going to tackle an interesting topic. It's building up new farm ground. So you pick up new ground, you know it's depleted. What should you do? Where should your first money be spent? So we'll talk about that throughout the show today. And we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. If you've got a question for us, just email us, radio at agphd.com. Every day we get sent tissue tests, pictures, soil tests, um, all kinds of great farm information, along with questions about, hey, what should I do in this situation? We're happy to answer those questions. Also, you can call in. Uh, our phone lines will be open throughout the show today, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. All right, so talking about this building up new farm ground or, I mean, there's kind of two ways to look at it. So like for us, we occasionally, not often, but occasionally we'll pick up a new field, either buy it or rent it, whatever it is. But then the other side is sometimes we're taking current pasture ground and turning that into cropland because we don't have livestock on the farm anymore. So we've done a couple different things here, but I can tell you this. Most of the time, the ground you're going to pick up is not going to be the best ground, right? I think we all know that. If it's been rented for a long time, if it, uh, if somebody even knows they're going to be retiring. I think about when our dad was getting near retirement. One day, he came to Darren and me, and here's exactly what he said. He said, boys, I've been farming this ground for a long time, kind of building it up and everything else, and I'm getting about ready to retire, so I think it's about time I start mining that fertility out of the ground. Now, as the next guys who were going to farm the ground, Darren and I thought this was a horrible idea, but our dad thought it was fantastic. <laughs> well, in the short term, he made good money for a year or two, but it didn't take very long and things started to go bad. Uh, yields went down, standability was worse, grain quality was less. I mean, it was just everything went downhill after just a couple of years. Because as you, as you know, when you start pulling big crops off of any ground, it takes a tremendous amount of fertility. And if you don't replace that, it, I mean, it doesn't take long and you're going to be in trouble. Okay. So you can go out and broadcast fertility, but if your ground is so terribly depleted, that is not going to be enough. I'll tell you right now. It's just simply not. So what we found has given us the best success. Whenever we've picked up new ground that has low fertility, which quite frankly, all of it, all of it always has, uh, we're really ahead to band. Now, I'm not going to say we aren't also broadcasting and we aren't also thinking about the long term if we've bought the ground. Now, if we're renting it, we'll just keep banding. But if we've bought the ground and we say, you know, we're going to try to make this ground better over the next 20 years, well, then we start broadcasting and we're banding. So personally, we like doing some strip till in the fall, but we've also had really good success putting on fertility with the planter in the spring. We like liquid because it's very available. Uh, we, we use low salt products, so we can use a fair amount and get good yields. You just have to be careful in terms of how much you use, how much salt there is, and how close it is to the proximity of the seed. But anyway, I, I would just say 
that is something that to me is very important. So even if you say, look, I've got new ground. I don't care what it costs. I'm going to build the whole thing up. I want to broadcast. I would still tell you in the first couple of years, band some fertility, especially liquid. So you've got some stuff available there, ready to go. You will definitely be money ahead. All right. We'll talk about that more throughout the show today, building up new farm ground. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, one of the cool things about putting out a lot of content, and and we've got videos that have been out for years and years uh, that you can find online. There's one that was out for three years, almost four years now, and Les is commenting on this. He said, I found this old video you had. I'm shocked it's only three years old as your points are out of date. Talking about neonic insecticides, there are more insects affected by neonics than just bees. Once they, the neonics get into the water systems, they affect aqueous insects as well as their predators. Wildflower plants growing near treated crops take up the insecticide, which can home other species. And he said, not enough money is being put into integrated pest management, which would eliminate the need for these chemicals. Okay, Les, I couldn't disagree with you more on just about every point you made. Now, first of all, yes, neonics can impact more insects than bees. That's why we're using them. (laughs) We're using them to kill bugs. Now, the point is where we are using those. We're using them as seed treatments only. That's what Brian and I are advocating. We don't want to use those as foliar treatments. Now, there are foliar neonic products being used out there. And we do agree with you. There are better solutions. There are very few situations where I would imagine that a neonic would be a better choice, foliar than something else. And it's worth taking that risk. Why take the risk? Use them as a seed treatment. They're not going to get into the water. They're not going to get into your wildflowers. And they're not going to kill bugs other than the bugs that are right around our seed, which is what we're trying to do. So a lot of times it's not, oh, it's a bad chemistry. No, it's not a bad chemistry. It replaced some chemistry that was bad. We're very thankful for neonics. The safety factor with them is much, much better than the products that they replaced. Absolutely. So we like it. We just want to see them used as seed treatments not as foliar treatment. So Les, I appreciate your comment. It brings up a good topic. And I would just say this for any farmer listening, we don't recommend Neonix Post. So if you're using one, find a different product. There's lots of other products out there so we can conserve those or preserve those Neonix for the use that we absolutely can't replace them for. And that's using them on our seed. All right. Thanks, Les. We appreciate that. All right. uh, Another one came out, Brian, on this one. Uh, no name on this one. I'm looking to increase my bean yields to over 80 bushels per acre. We need more K. And I'm putting potash out, but I also want to put a liquid with my planter. Yeah. What are you guys using that you found that works? We're using an agro-liquid product that's low salt. The one we use is Sure K, but there are certainly other ones out there. I would just tell you... Uh, Soybean plants need a lot of K, a tremendous amount, and as I'm sure you've figured out now. And if you have light soil and if you have irrigation, then there's no reason why you can't put some K on later. Now for us, with heavy soil and no irrigation, we basically need to and have had better success putting it all on up front. So the application method changes a little bit depending on your situation. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. 
That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. It's about time. Applied at Planning, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind Enferrow Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about building up new farm ground. And if you're so fortunate as to be able to pick up some new farm ground, this might be one of the things that you're thinking about. And we, we talk all the time about when you go to an auction to buy some farmland or when someone says, hey, I'm going to offer this farmland to you on a private sale. I don't know that I've ever come across somebody that said, hey, I've got some farmland. Here's my soil test. Would you like to buy it? And I would highly recommend as soon as you pick up some new ground, make sure you're taking good soil samples out there. I would recommend doing small grids, like one to two and a half acre grids, and try to get a handle on what you actually bought. And yep, it costs just a little bit of money. But it's not that terrible expensive. You're going to spend ten to twenty dollars pulling those samples per acre when you just spent hundreds or thousands of dollars per acre buying the ground. It's a good investment. So find out what you've got, and then you can see what your assets are and where you're a little bit short. And more times than not, we're finding that ground is going to be a little bit short because somebody knew they were going to sell it in most cases. And so they may have taken at least one year where they said, you know, why put a whole bunch of fertilizer out there that somebody else is going to take advantage of? I'm just going to put enough food out there to feed my crop for this year or even less. So that's where I would start is is doing that. The other thing that we talk about a lot on our farm, we're always looking at, do we have to do any dirt work out there? Do we need to put in field approaches? Do we need to fix an old terrace? I mean, what are those kinds of things that we've got to do? And then the next thing that we look at is what's our drainage like in that field? And sometimes you may say, you know, I think it's pretty good and they've got tile in the ground already. You might want to wait a year or two just to see, well, Let's find out. We'll, we'll hit a wet year. We'll see if there are any problem spots or whatnot. But maybe you know it up front. And if you do, 
in my experience, the best time to do it is right away. Get out there so you can take advantage of that tile and those improvements that you're making for the longest period of time possible. And hopefully you're going to have that farm for quite a while. And once you get it fixed and up and running, that's fantastic. The other thing with that proper drainage, it allows you to get rid of some of the excesses that you've got in your field. And that might include salt. One thing that we've seen, like for example, a, a field right on our home farm. I remember growing up as a kid and the piece of land is right behind our farm place. My grandpa had farmed the ground before and and that was my mom's parents. And when my dad and my mom bought the farm from them, grandpa said, well, don't don't spend too much money out there behind the trees. That that ground's pretty tough. It's It's not real good ground. And when dad did some soil sampling, he figured out, oh, it's just really high in salt because grandpa had spread a lot of manure back there over the years and was pretty much putting manure back there every year. And the salt just hadn't gotten away because it had poor drainage. So that's something over time that now is some of our better ground that we've got because we've made improvements to the drainage and we've got that excess salt out of the system. All right, so our phone lines are open today, 844-44-AG-PHD. If you've got any questions, if you want to talk about building up new farm ground or any of your personal experience in that, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at agphd.com. If you've got soil samples and you want to talk through what, is that, what does that look like on my farm? You're talking about this, but, but how about on my own ground? Do you see some things there that you would start with? That would be a great thing to discuss on today's program as well. All right, let's dive back into the the Ag PhD mailbag. And there are a lot of questions that come in, uh, some of them based on our radio shows, some based on some of the workshops or clinics that we've done. And this one happens to be in response to our radio show. This is from Brian. He said, just listen to your Farmer Friday radio show from two Fridays ago. And a caller mentioned that he'd like an app to be able to enter his soil test levels and then get fertilizer recommendations back in pounds per acre without having to do all the conversions. Brian had made a comment that you guys have already done that at previous soil workshops and had a limited time available spreadsheet. I didn't realize this, and I have attended one of your soil workshops in the past, do you have that spreadsheet around still? Yeah, we'll we'll dig that out, Brian, and we'll send that to you. Uh, he said, also, I had trouble. I couldn't watch your corn workshop live stream, and I'm wondering how do you handle that if somebody can't make it to the workshop or, or watch it when you're broadcasting? That's a great question, Brian, because we've got our soybean agronomy workshop coming up next week on February 3rd. It'll be the same type of format. We'll start at 10, we'll run until 3, and we'll do our, our radio show as the last hour. We'll take questions from the audience, and also we'll take questions that people are sending in in our chat. And with that, if you're an Ag PhD Insider subscriber, which you are, Brian, uh, but it, for our listeners today, if you, if you want to get in on the live stream, all you have to do is sign up for our Ag PhD Insider magazine and we'll get a link sent to you. And what we did with the corn agronomy workshop, we we kept that webinar available for you for a little bit of time afterwards. If you weren't able to watch it all that day, I would expect we'll do the same thing. Thanks for the email, Brian. Let's go back to the phone lines. We got Joe Leslie with us with Agro Liquid right now. Joe, how are you today? Good. How are you doing? Good. You know, when we think about building up new farm ground, 
I'm sure you get those questions too. And a lot of it comes down to fertility. And as you, as you hear this, I picked up a new piece of farm ground, Joe, help me out with my fertility rec. I'm assuming you want to start with the soil test. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we, we always want to start with a soil test. It's the best tool we have to, uh, to know where we're starting with that soil. And then from there, that soil test allows us to track, you know, if we make an application, we soil test in the, again the next year, we can kind of track to see uh, what amendments have uh, worked, what's working better than others, and then kind of track different nutrients as we go along. But yeah, that's, that's step one. And, and, and within that, I mean, pH is, is the first check on the box to, to make sure it's in balance because with the pH, as we know, that's what allows you know certain nutrients to be available and makes everything work. So that's, that's step one in the whole process uh, when we are looking at uh, new ground. In your area that you're covering, Joe, uh, Pennsylvania and beyond, do you run into more high pHs or more low pHs? So I, I'm, I have a very interesting territory, and a lot of guys will tell you that. I, I live in Pennsylvania, but I cover uh, out to the Delmarva Peninsula. So we, I, I get to see it all. Um, probably more high pH soils, and then, uh, but we play from the from the clays out here to the, the beach sands out on the shore. So we. I get to experience all levels of it, which is actually kind of fun for me uh, to see a little bit of everything. You know, when I when I get questions about new ground, a lot of times I'll, I'll ask growers where the pH is and where their P and K levels are in the soil. But then I, I ask about micros, and I find a lot of growers aren't sampling for micros or aren't concerned about micros. When do micronutrients come into play for you? Is that something year one that you're at least trying to feed the crop, or how do you address them? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. In year one, we need to be looking at micros, and and it, it, with micros, a lot of it's in the relationship with other uh, nutrients. So like phosphorus and zinc's a big one. We have a lot of really high phosphorus soils, especially down in southeastern PA and in Maryland, where you know zinc might be showing up decent on a soil test, but uh, you know with these really high phosphorus, we're tying up that zinc. So from day one, we're looking at the micros, um, and then with the micros and all that. After pH, next thing is the base saturation. You got to be looking at your calcium and magnesium and the different levels in that base saturation. Um, but micros, micros can be as or more important as a macronutrient if it's the limiting factor. So yes, you need to be looking at it. Yeah, I've got some experience working with some of your products and I, I picked up a piece of ground that I called the blank slate. It had virtually no fertility in it. And yeah. I started off, yeah, I'm trying to build the soil up, but that takes time and it costs quite a bit of money. In the meantime, I wanted to have highly available fertilizer. So when you run into some of those pH extremes, what do you do? Do you just adjust rates on some of the liquid that you're putting on with your planter? Oh yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly um, there's certainly things we can do with the liquid that are that are highly available. That'll a, a lot with the liquid products is you're looking at you know the return over the next in the next season. So the stuff's highly available, like you said, with a blank slate, that's a great place to go. With building up nutrients, it's even better because what you're doing with the liquid is you're not having to draw out as many nutrients that are in that soil. So yes, very. There's different things we can do to address different nutrients, and that's what's great about our products is we can, you know, make make the prescription that you need for that farm. Yeah, I think it's important as we talk about building up new farm ground, you've got to have a successful crop this year that you feed as well. Thanks, Joe. Really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine. 
because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker-treated nitrogen. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, we're talking about building up new farm ground. And in the United States, when we talk about new farm ground, that typically means, well, somebody else was farming it, and now we're going to be farming it. But it could also mean there was some virgin pasture or something like that 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 got broke up. But more times than not, we're talking about, hey, here's a field that somebody else had. I get it as I've traveled around the world a little bit. When we talk about new farm ground, that could be different. That could be, let's clear some brush off. Let's clear some of these big rocks out of the way and start farming. Whole different discussion. If you want to have that discussion, we sure can. But for right now, let's focus on, all right, I'm picking up some ground that somebody else was farming. How do I get that up to production as quickly as possible? We got our friend Chris Larson with us right now with Case IH to talk about that. Chris, how are you doing? I'm good, Darren. How are you today? 
Pretty good. How about in your area in eastern Iowa? Do you guys see this from time to time that you're picking up some ground that somebody else was farming or maybe you were renting and now you're going to own it and all of a sudden you're looking at it a lot different? Boy, that's that's true. And as I farm as well, work for Case AH, I've experienced uh, that even you know within the last couple of years. And it's, it's, uh, it is a whole different look uh, and, and different experience from, uh, I guess, something that you know, having, having ground that you've had for a long time, that's for sure. Now, one of the things that we talk about a lot is if we've got some dirt work issues that need to happen out there, and maybe that's fixing a terrace, or maybe that's, uh, you know, doing some big dirt moving, we want to get that done first. But we also hear a lot of growers that say, okay, I'm picking up some new ground and it attaches to one of my fields. I've got to change directions now of the way this thing is farmed. And I've got to do some, some major tillage out there. Do you run into those situations? And if so, what do you recommend? Yeah, I ran into it personally, even the last, like I said, the last couple of years where we've picked up uh, some ground from uh, a very traditional farmer, um, good, good people. But, uh, you know, they they were farming uh, small fields and a lot of livestock here and there. And as we've gotten into larger production agriculture, you know, those practices kind of have to change and or have changed. Don't have to, but they have. Uh, and you know, the, the last tillage tool they used uh, had gone in the same direction over and over and over, may or may not have been leveled all that well. And, you know, to make it more efficient, we've, we've changed directions. And, you know, what I, I found is, you know, after a couple of years of just being seasick and combining, you know, we, we've, we've decided to, to take a ripper in. And it's not a field that I probably would have done that a lot. Uh, as far as ripping goes, just because of the rocks and the the potential for I think some erosion, but it was really just necessary to to uh, to kind of get that leveled off. Um, and we did that this fall. I'll let you know how it goes next spring, though. Well, we have some guys that that will email us from time to time that are really dedicated to no-till but even those guys what we're finding chris is some of those guys say you know what we're going to go in we're going to clean it up one time we hope we never have to do deep scale tillage again after that but do do you see that too where guys say you know i just gotta i just gotta bite the bullet here and get her done boy just to get it smooth and leveled off you know and, and smoothing off that seed bed is so critical um you know, for that planter pass, and that's what's going to set the stage for, you know, years and years of, of, of doing that practice of no-till or um, maybe even uh, swapping into a, a practice or something of that nature to be more conservative. But yet, you know, those farms uh, that, that I, at least I've found that maybe have been, um, you know, in, in somebody else's hands for years and years renting, you know, who, who knows what the nutrient practices have been. Um, so getting that good baseline and, and, and a uh, of, of measuring and knowing what that is and then, you know, applying that fertilizer, um, uh, you know, via strip till or, or however you want to do that. But you may end up having to work that in uh, and leveling that off, yes. All right, Chris. So let me switch gears just a little bit. I know there are a number of livestock operations near where you guys farm, dairies and such, and a lot of the manure application happens in the top six inches. We're hearing a, a big call around the country for guys putting manure deeper and trying to spread fertility deeper in the zone. So if you picked up some ground and and it's got a pretty nice fertility base in the top six, how would you recommend we go about trying to make that really nice for the top 12? Well, I I think, you know, a lot of those applicators to do it, any sort of efficiency, it's going to stick there at that top, top six. But I I think really that, that ripping practice, you know, that, 
what we call lift, twist, and roll of a, of a, of a point that's got wings on it will help cycle and pull that nutrient down further into the subsurface. Um, you know, that's a practice separate from the actual application. Um, generally, when we're doing liquid application, or at least on our farm, when we've done manure application, those guys, they kind of want to get in and, and get moving because the time is small. Uh, you know, either frost is coming or planting is coming, depending on that at that time frame. So, you know, getting and being efficient uh, and going shallower so they can move along is, is pretty important to them and probably pretty difficult to go any deeper as uh, far as an actual application. At least in my experience, there may be others, but, uh, but you know, using a, a, a deeper tillage tool such as a ripper does cycle and move those, those uh, nutrients down into that lower subsurface area. All right. One other question that had come in about CRP ground. Could be farmed no-till, could also do heavy tillage. I assume you probably have some guys that want to go either way on that. Uh, or one way or the other. What do you recommend for some of this ground that's coming out of CRP? Well, there's a lot of times there's a reason that it was in CRP. Uh, obviously, from from a conservation standpoint, um, you know, and that can be very quite variable uh, for for what is needed. And you know, something new that's kind of come along here, as far as the technology base, that is is pretty interesting that could be applicable here is is really prescriptions within tillage and soil management and you know for a crp ground that probably was in there for a reason uh for conservation but there are probably some really good areas you know some sort of a prescription soil management system could be quite valuable there i think um where you know uh or or highly erodible areas could be you know let minimal minimally tilled say with a vertical tillage tool shallow up uh, or you know, go deeper, uh, you know, in in the bottoms or areas that uh, have really high productive soils may be compacted and and really need to be uh, worked a little bit more. But uh, but something something different to think about there maybe uh, from from a uh, you know that 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 aspect. Yeah, there's always so many things to think about. Like you mentioned, why did it go into CRP in the first place? And why was the previous farmer farming it a certain way? Maybe he knew something you didn't. And it's great if you've got a good relationship with the person who used to farm that ground so you can compare some notes a little bit. But uh, sometimes you just got to go with the best thing that you can think of. Uh, Talking with Chris Lurson with Case IH. Chris, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah, thank you, Darren, and uh, and stay healthy and, and uh, have a safe spring, everyone. You bet. You as well. Uh, Brian, get an email here from Kyle, and he said, Our family farms in southern Indiana. We've got a question about tiling for you. We've got this field that we farmed for a number of years. It's, it's about a 35-acre field, but there's a five- or six-acre patch that's poorly drained. And I've always been told that it was untileable in that area. I don't have a soil sample, but I printed a USDA soil survey for you. Would that information be helpful? Can you tell us if this field could potentially be tiled or not? No, I can't from this information. I I would need a soil test. And it doesn't take much. Just uh, get a soil test done and get a complete soil test done, and then we'll see. I seriously doubt that we're going to find a soil that can't be drained. Every soil I know of in the world can be tiled. The question is just simply, is it worth it financially? If the cation exchange capacity gets so high that you would have to have the tile lines really super close, then yes, it might not be economically feasible. That's about the only situation I know of where I would say, yeah, you probably had to just pass or try to sell the ground. (laughs) 
<laughs> do something. I don't know. But I, I understand it's frustrating. It's, if it's only five acres, just to make life easy, you're not going to spend that many total dollars anyway. Just over-tile it in that, that area. But yeah, send me a soil test and then we'll let you know. All right. We were talking about building up new farm ground and certainly a lot of tillage questions. And I got a couple of questions coming from the southern United States about one particular practice, strip till, and asking, will it work in this state? Will it work in that state? What would you recommend and how would you do it if you're in Arkansas, if you're in Alabama? Hey, different states there, but strip tillage, a number of things here that we've learned over the years to help make that work. We're going to talk and answer both of those questions coming up right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and if you have a call or if you have an agronomic question for us, you can call us at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Panther, Credit Extreme, and Cheetah for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these challenging times, we know you're under pressure. New Farm's here to help. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. 
Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about building up new farm ground, and and one of the questions that's come up has been some of the tillage practices. Get this one from Skip. Say, what's your opinion on strip till in the south, say in Arkansas where I live? I think it would go over well. And Anderson had a comment. He said, hey, guys, would you recommend strip tilling down the same row from last year, or should I go in between? We have dry land sand in south Alabama using anhydrous and 32% with the strip tiller and broadcasting chicken manure before tilling. Okay, two totally separate questions. So let's start with the first one. Go back to that, Darren. Okay. It was South will Alabama strip tilling or South in, Arkansas. Will strip tilling work in the South? Sure it will. I mean, strip tilling will work anywhere. We talk all the time here about the advantages and disadvantages to strip till. Biggest disadvantage that I see is it just it takes a little more time as opposed to just blowing some fertilizer on the soil surface. But if you can do it, do everything in one pass where basically you're fertilizing, you're, you are tilling, you are also not tilling everything, so you're conserving soil and hopefully building organic matter in between. And then on top of all this, you're building a good seed bed. So, I mean, it, there, that, that part's all good. But again, it just it takes some time. The machine costs a little bit of money. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I don't have any issue with that. And it, it will work everywhere, no problem. And what was the second question? Second question is from Anderson, who is strip tilling in South Alabama. He said they're on dry land sand, putting on anhydrous and 32% with the strip tiller, and they're broadcasting chicken manure before they run that through the field. His question is, would you recommend strip tilling down the same row oh, yeah, from last year, row. or should he go in between last year's rows? Well, you can do whatever you want, but going down the same row, if it's corn for example that's challenging you've got a lot of a lot of residue that hasn't broken down yet to become organic matter now granted the further south you are the the easier that is but like for us here in the north there's no chance you're doing that uh with it with a normal machine so the guys that used to ridge till they they would do that you got to have a a a good machine you've really got to heal that that dirt back up and everything but I'm a believer in just go in between. Now, it doesn't have to be exactly in between. Let's say you're in 30-inch rows. You could be 10 inches over. You can be 15 inches over. Whatever you want to do. But, yeah, it's a lot easier, and you have a lot less stuff to fight through if you just go in between. All right. Uh, next question. This comes from Darren. He said, I was at your corn agronomy workshop and you were talking a little bit about some of the first step plots at your Ag PhD field day when you had some of some really high yielding growers trying to do what they would do first to try and build ground up. Well, hey, that really is right like our topic today. That sums it up. He said, yep. after, after looking at that data, from your meeting, I'm wondering, did you keep the competitors in the same plot area year after year? Did you rotate crops through those areas on the dry land side? How did you do it? The first three years, we were in the same area. And then eventually we started rotating crop. And then eventually we moved. But 
three years in a row for the corn stuff anyway. I know we did that because that was one of the things for a lot of the the high yield guys. They said, boy, it's going to take a little time to get stuff built up. We want to at least be in the same spot for two or three years. And you could really see year one for us, corn and soybeans, not, not as good as year two or year three. Okay, next question comes from Jordan. He said, I've got a few questions about weed control in winter wheat. I'm in eastern Tennessee, and I'm growing some wheat for straw and for grain to overseed pasture and hay fields. What is my best choice for controlling cockleburs? One of my fields last year was in corn, and the field had some cockleburr pressure. We didn't get controlled. Also wondering, is there a good all-around herbicide for wheat that you would say is your normal go-to broadleaf product? Yeah, probably husky. So I, I really like husky because you've got an HPPD and you've got buckterol. And both products are excellent on cockleburr. That will do outstanding for you. The other product that has been commonly sold in wheat has for broadleaves has been wide match and that's the combination of stinger which is great on thistles and uh and also starine which is great on kochia unfortunately those two herbicides stinger and starine aren't super broad spectrum or at least super effective on a wide variety of weeds so that would not be my choice if I had cockleburr, I would have to tank mix something in with my wide match if I really wanted to use wide match. All right. Thanks for the question. Got a couple questions here from Matt. He said, first of all, uh, I'm ready to send some seed corn in to be saturated cold germ tested. And I had a load of soybean seed show up today. I'm wondering, should I grab a sample out of the beans too? Are you seeing any issues with those and cold stress? Well, the difference there is with soybeans, if a few don't grow, it's not the end of the world. Most of the plants will make up for it. So it it's common where you're going to lose 10 to 20% of your soybean plants almost no matter what. Whereas in corn, you usually only lose 5 to 10% of your plants. But even if you lose 30% of your plants with soybeans, most of the time, especially when that happens early, like right at planting or, you know, at emergence, you don't really lose a whole lot of yield. Now, because of that, some people think, well, then I'll just cut my planting population. The problem with that is, well, what happens if you have a reduced planting population and now you lose 30 or 40 percent? Now you, you get to the point where it's like, ooh, I'm getting pretty low and you, you don't have as good a crop canopy, so you have worse weed control. And all of a sudden, yields could potentially be impacted then. So anyway, I'm not that worried about the soybeans. If you want to test them, I mean, it's, it's your money. You can spend it however you want. Um, so if you want to check your seed supplier and see how that the beans turn out, you definitely can. The corn is much more critical. That's why we talk specifically about corn quite often and double-checking on your seed company to make sure the germ is actually good. Okay, Matt's second question here. He said, does soybean seed size matter in a cold environment? I've got seed ranging from 2,600 seeds per pound to 3,250. I'm wondering, would a larger seed size have a better chance of survival in cold cold soil because it has more food in it or would a smaller seed be a better choice because it could pop up faster since it has less surface area to push through i have seen no research proving it one way or the other if the smaller or the larger is better in our own testing lab we also have not been able to prove that 
Now, I, I will say there can be a limit to how small is small. When you talk 2600 to 3250, that to me is in the normal range, and I believe that everything is going to be fine. But, uh, you know, so I, I'll put it this way I'm much more concerned about how is the germ and how is the cold germ test for each one of those you know, the big seed and the small seed versus, oh, it's small seed, so it's not going to do as well. Or it's big seed, so it's not going to do as well. No, I don't believe that at all. All right. Got a question from Diego. He says, listening to your radio show yesterday and hearing the farmer that was taking the half acre grids and then figuring out how many nutrients he was pulling out of the soil and so forth. Uh, I thought about doing something like this, but then I thought, what about the mineralization of nutrients? Shouldn't you take that into account when you're yes. doing the math each year? Yes, you you need to, and I, I would hope that farmer was doing that. But keep in mind, in terms of those nutrients, you're usually talking just nitrogen, phosphorus, and sulfur on a big scale. So nitrogen, we usually figure 20 to 30 pounds per percent of organic matter. Phosphorus, it's 4 to 7 pounds, or phosphate, it's 4 to 7 pounds, and sulfur, it's two to three pounds. So the nitrogen is definitely the big one, but even for phosphate and sulfur, it, it is something. So that's the challenge with, like the farmer yesterday we were talking to, he said he spends a lot of money on soil tests so by going down to half acre grids, and obviously it takes time too. So to counteract that, what he's doing is only testing once every seven or eight years. So to me, that's a little on the long side. I probably would not want to go beyond about four years if it was me. But if you develop a system and you figure it out, I mean, I'm sure it, you, can, you can turn out okay. Uh, so it's, it's, it's definitely not bad. And I would rather do that, what his plan is, as opposed to taking composite tests where basically it's one sample for an entire field, yet you do it every single year. That's a waste of money. Don't even do that ever. It's only going to get you confused and cost you money in the long run. All right. Thanks for the question. Got another one coming up here that we'll get to right after the break. Mike is in Minnesota with heavy ground, worried about potassium availability at peak absorption times. Ooh, this is a great question. Stay tuned. We'll get to it right after this. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. I'll take predictability, where I can get it. With their CropWise Seed Selector, NK Seeds combines local knowledge and local data to show me where their seed fits. And even where it doesn't. Because out here, predictability is hard to come by. And success matters. Find your seed at nkseeds.com. Fill once, plant all day. 
The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We got an email here from Mike in Minnesota, and he said, I'd like to come to your bean workshop in February, but I don't want to do any in-person events just yet. Hey, no problem, Mike. All you have to do is subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider Magazine and you can get access to our content at our, our workshops virtually, so you can watch from the comfort of your own home. Uh, Mike had a couple of questions for us, so he hey, said, "Hey, by the way, before you jump any further, I was just going to tell you, Darren. I don't know if you saw, but like teachers in our area are just starting to get vaccinated now. Uh, about ten percent of our state's population. We're in South Dakota, by the way, uh, but it's over ten percent of our state's adult population has gotten vaccinated now. So." Uh, and the schools are talking about having in-person graduation this spring in May. So I, those are all good signs so far. Hopefully things progress even further. All right. Uh, Mike said, we farm in central Minnesota dry land. Our CEC is 20 and up, so we've got fairly heavy ground. Our base saturation K is around 3.5%. Parts per million are 260-plus, and our Bray phosphorus levels around 250 parts per million. We're trying to reach yields over 80 bushels an acre. We'd like to get 100. Presently, we're around 75 bushels, 
plus or minus a couple of bushels, depending on the year. I'm looking at applying some liquid K with our planter in a 2x2 two two, as our dry potash is not that available at peak absorption times. The planter fertilizer system is a pump with row orifices under pressure. Are there any K products that would work with this type of system? If so, what are you guys using? What rates are you applying? Just wondering what your thoughts are of supplementing our dry approach with some additional liquid. Yes, so we do that every year, and we use, uh, I think I mentioned this earlier in the show today, AgriLiquids SureK, but there are other ones out there. You just want to make sure you're using something low salt and then be careful about how much you're using and where you place it because obviously you don't want to get a lot of salt by a young soybean plant, whether it's the seed or the young seedling. I, I have been working on some stuff for our soybean workshop next week, and one of the things that we're going to talk about a little bit is in corn, we can match up our yield to a lot of the fertility levels very easily. So, for example, the K percentage for base saturation, I mean, it's just about a straight line. Uh, the higher the K, the higher our corn yield. But for soybeans, it's not as much that way, in part because we do band fertilizer every single time we plant soybeans. I shouldn't say every single time, almost every single time. So most of our soybeans the last few years have been strip till. So we're putting more than enough potassium in the form of potash way down below the seed. Usually it's six, eight inches down below the seed even. Plus we're doing some liquid K with the planter. And that's, that. that I mean, those things have really helped us. Our soybean yields stunk 15 years ago. They were terrible. And the biggest thing for us was potassium. And his question is especially important when you have dry periods in the summertime because what the words he used there were peak absorption. You got to keep in mind that the peak for soybeans is way higher than it is for corn. And I know that seems hard to believe as much potassium as a corn plant will take because in some cases it's three, four, five hundred pounds of potassium that a corn plant will take in total. It's ridiculous. But with soybeans, it won't take as many total pounds. But at the peak for a few days in there, when that that when it's in the reproductive stage, the soybean plant needs just a massive amount of K. Now, that liquid K, it's probably going to get absorbed more early in the season. So what some of the really high yield guys are doing, especially that have irrigation, is they're putting some more K out later. Um, and in, in some cases, that might be liquid K again. But anyway, the point is they're putting more K out later and, and pumping it in with irrigation to try to force that into the plant. Now, with irrigation, that's one of the big keys. Rainfall is the big key or just moisture in general. Where I'm going with this is you think about it in the soil. Okay, so here's the example I often give. I've got a bottle of water sitting in front of me right now. Let's say that, and I'll just give you a human example, and, and hopefully this drives home the point. All right, let's say I've got a full bottle of water sitting in front of me, and I've got to take some medicine today, just for example. Uh, so I throw the medicine in the water. It's, it's at a certain concentration now in the water at a certain dilution rate. Okay. Now, tomorrow, let's say I only have a half a bottle of water, yet I have to get the same dose into me. Well, if I throw that in the water, now I've got double the concentration in there. So you see where I'm going with this. If you're in an area that doesn't have a lot of soil moisture, doesn't get a lot of rainfall, doesn't have irrigation, well, you've got to have your K levels 
pretty high in that soil, and they've got to be there well in advance. So hopefully, at that peak absorption time, you're able to pump a lot into that plant. So yes, I totally understand why what you're after here. Your three and a half percent base saturation K in my book is low. That's not saying that that today is for sure your yield limiting factor. But all I know is if you've only got 260 pounds of of K out in that field, um, you need more. That that's just my opinion. If I owned that ground, I'd be building that up for sure. In addition to putting that liquid K on, like you're talking about. All right. Thanks for the questions. Appreciate that. Got this one from Camille, and she said, here are some of my fall soil sample results. I would love to have one of those selected for your fertility or your soybean course coming up next month. Okay, so no specific questions or anything or what? No, uh, no questions, Brian. Darren, Darren just, handed me a whole stack so of soil tests We here We have talked about with that. With no summary. That, well, we have talked about that, that we're going to be looking at soil yes. tests as part of the Neil yeah. Kinsey seminar coming up. And, you know, when you think about that, Neil Neil likes to look at things that he's run through his lab because he knows exactly how those analyses are, have been run. And he's got decades of experience utilizing those analysis points and figuring out exactly what to do in fields. We're, we're pretty comfortable with a number of different labs. Uh, this one came from a, a different lab, not one that we're normally using, but we do get a number of samples that come from that lab that we look at on a weekly basis. But okay, so just real quick, uh, let me let me tell you a couple things that I'm always looking for first. To begin with, pH. And <laughs> whenever we talk about pH, I use the word variable. We do once again here have variable pH levels. So there's some down to I'm I'm looking at it just really quick, 5.4, but you've also got some in the mid 6s. So when you're going to do liming, you got to be careful. Only get it on that that low pH. Don't get it on the high pH, and then you'll be in good shape. Just don't overdo it. Also, your cation exchange capacity is pretty variable. So, in other words, we've got light all the way up to, I'd call it medium textured soil. Um, there's, there's nothing in here I see that's very heavy. But anyway regardless of how heavy or light the soil is, your K levels are way too low. So you're down, you're below 4% base saturation K on everything I look at. And even your total pounds, you just don't have a lot of pounds. I, I mean, you're talking 200 pounds, 100 pounds. I mean, it just, it, it's just flat out not a lot. If you want good yields in almost any crop, you got to get more K out there. Uh, beyond that, it, yeah, it's 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 variable. I mean, it looks to me like for the most part, you're going to need more phosphorus, more sulfur, a little more boron, maybe a little bit more zinc. So number of different things that we could talk about at our workshop coming up in or at, I should say at Neil Kinsey's workshop coming up in a month. All right. I got a question. This is from Robert. He said, for compost, I'm wondering, you've, you've talked about it two different ways. I recently saw some video content you put out on compost where you said it's a super slow release amendment. And now in a newer video, you said it, you claim to have to get it out fast. What? I, I'm not exactly sure what he means by that, but basically with compost, what is that compared claim to- to have to get it out fast? No. I mean, it, the only, I, don't, I don't know what context that was used in. My guess is we in the fall only have most years one to two weeks to get all our field work and fertility work done. And so my assumption is 
this could have been from us talking about our fall of 2018 or fall of 2019 where we had compost delivered to the farm and we had to get it out fast or it was going to sit there all winter because we just didn't have a lot of time before the ground froze up. All right, yeah, and speaking about Neil Kinsey, we do have an upcoming workshop with Neil Kinsey. You can find out all the details. You can sign up for that as well online. You can just visit agphd.com, click on events, and you'll see our upcoming soybean agronomy workshop next week, which is free. You'll see Neil's workshop coming up, which uh, it does cost a little bit of money, but I will tell you it is well worth it. It's great information. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.